0: Today on Security Science, we figure out how to measure, then minimize the exploitability of an entire organization. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and today we are covering our latest prioritization to prediction research report created in partnership with the Scientia Institute, P2P Volume 8, Measuring and Minimizing Exploitability. We have a full house today, starting with the physical manifestation of our values, chief data scientist, founder and partner at the Science Institute, Jay Jacobs. Our values. I mean, uh, great to be here, Dan. Okay, uh, next up, we have the Charles Dickens of data science, founder and partner of Science Institute, Dr. Wade Baker. How's it going, Wade? I
1: think that's uh, very, very rude to Mr. Dickens, but uh, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) I it
0: I thought it was nice. I like alliteration, too. It helps out. I do too. <laughs> yeah, it's a good mnemonic device. Uh, and last but not least, the man who puts the chief in CTO, co-founder and CTO of <laughs> Security, now a part of Cisco, folks. So am I, by the way. Ed Bellis. How's it going, Ed? It's going well, Dan. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you like how I snuck in that we got acquired by Cisco? Because I think this is our second podcast and I didn't mention it on the other one. So. Yeah, I did <laughs> notice that. I, and I use did, I our data even... sources completely. I didn't even bother to change my title this time around. This is true. It is very, very true. Um, As a quick reminder to all of our listeners, you can find relevant links to everything we're discussing today on the KennethSecurity.com slash blog page. So this will be a launch. There's going to be a full report. You can go download it. Um, We'll have some cool analysis there as well. I would encourage everyone to download and read along because we are going to walk through the report and we typically reference specific charts and all that good stuff. We do describe it all, obviously but it's a little bit easier if you can visualize as well, especially for people like me who are dumb. If you've been following along, P2P Volume 4 ended like many do with another question. So is it possible to determine the relative exploitability or remediability of an entire organization? So not wanting to bury the lead in Volume 8, we ran a simulation that shows that, yes, we can. So we can indeed extrapolate exploitability to the organizational level. So let's dig in on that one. As normal, we normally kick off with a couple goals. So we look to achieve two things. So measure the exploitability for individual volumes, and then far more importantly, entire organizations. And then we created a simulation, which is kind of funny because the Matrix reboot just came out and wasn't that good. seeks to (laughs) minimize the exploitability under varying scenarios, combining vulnerability prioritization strategies with remediation capacity. So ultimately, looking at what makes the biggest dent overall. And so normally, as we kick off, we like to go over our data sources. And in this one, it's um, really important that people understand the concept of the exploit prediction scoring system, which is a first.org special interest group. It's open. It's out there. There's a ton of data. We've done two different podcast episodes on it. So if you want a quick, well, not so quick primer on both of them, you can go back (laughs) and listen. Um, But yeah, let's get that kicked off with uh, Jay. Let's go over some of the data
2: that we included in this report. Sure. So there's a couple of different things that you mentioned there. First is EPSS, which is the Exploit Prediction Scoring System, which uses a variety of data to look at the essentially the exploitability. I mean, we're talking about measuring exploitability and we we naturally went to EPSS in this in this series.
0: EPSS, you can go check it out
2: at first.org.
0: Uh, I think it's slash EPSS. And- Basically, we did a white paper and we looked at some of the correlating factors, and ultimately it gives a percentage of how likely an exploit is going to be exploited within the next 12 months. And so some of the data sources that we run into along the way is we've done a measurement of the overall CVEs by year. And so the last few years, there's been 18,000 plus CVEs submitted every single year. Which I think we got Jerry, who's been measuring them. I think we actually cracked twenty thousand this year. We did, which is yeah, which is a, an insane amount. If we look a little bit later on, we'll talk about uh, remediation capacity. Companies cannot remediate that many vulnerabilities. They just they can't do it ultimately. Um, and so as of right now, sixteen percent of all CVEs um, have some sort of exploit code available or activity that we're seeing. Um, externally which typically is how we classify things as high risk
2: the thing i want to add too is that as we looked at the vulnerabilities themselves we looked at billions of vulnerabilities across millions of assets and then i think we have hundreds of companies and you know five six hundred i can't remember but yeah. so i mean we're talking about an enormous quantity of vulnerabilities an enormous quantity of assets and as we look at the exploitability across companies and assets and all these different things, that's sort of the scope that we're talking about. It's not like a, a survey of 30, 30 people or something. It's This is really massive and it's device data. This isn't, uh, like I said, a survey or anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really important. I like to call that out because this is actual quant data. It's not qualified, right? It's not people right. guessing and or like, I think we have this many phones, it's actual production data. So it's a big deal. Yep. All right. Well, I think, What was there any other stats? I think there's a couple other ones I wanted to cover off real quick. So most organizations, so 87% have open vulnerabilities on at least a quarter of their assets. I don't think this is a to anyone, but it's just fun to put that out there as a context basis. And then this is an interesting one. So I might have to have uh, Wade break this down in a little more detail, but 75% of organizations have more than one in four assets with a high risk vuln. <laughs> How do I interpret that? <laughs>
1: um, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what a high risk vuln is, but I mean that that in terms of that is is consistent if you've been keeping up with P two P reports in the past. You know, we look at high risk vulns as having known exploit code available for that vulnerability or exploitation active in the wild. So mm-hmm. if it meets either of those two conditions, uh, that's quote high risk. And, you know, one of the things that we have consistently promoted in this series is that that's where to start. You know, if you're looking at all the vulnerabilities in your environment and trying to think, well, which ones do I remediate first? Which assets should I concentrate on? Start with those that are that have high risk vulnerabilities. And that stat is just meant to give you a sense of what does that look like across your infrastructure? And if you look across all organizations, like you said, most organizations have a good portion of their assets that have at least one high-risk vuln open to exploitation. And so it's it's this is not a narrow, tiny slice of your infrastructure. It's a good part of it. And I think people know that, but it's nice to have a number on it.
3: And just to clarify all of this, right, just so we know what kind of data we're talking about here. This is data that is coming directly from... Enterprises vulnerability scans, all of their information about assets and things like that. So when uh, just have that lens on, why we're talking through the data as, as an example, we talked about the percentage of assets that have an open vulnerability on it. Well, naturally, when you're scanning for vulnerabilities, you tend to find them, especially on on the assets you're scanning. It, there, there could be assets that they're not scanning as well, right? So just uh, there's a little bit of bias in the data set in the sense that probably 99% of it is coming from automated vulnerability scanners across infrastructure. And it's coming from enterprises that have already in some way decided to, you know, apply some sort of risk lens to
0: all this. That's a really good call out, Ed. Um, You know, this data set is definitely biased because it's kind of customer, so they're biased to at least try to understand or create some kind of prioritization mechanism. I don't think any company would not want to do it if it was available to them. But as such, we've seen, improvements as we've improved our product, as we've gotten better about helping our customers and teaching them how to like go about prioritization and all this. So um, our first chart actually under measuring exploitability is a good example of that. So we've tracked since I think P2P volume two or three, maybe the uh, monthly change in high-risk vulnerabilities, right? So our organization's Um, remediating more high risk vulnerabilities or less high risk vulnerabilities in any given month that are coming in, right? Wade, I love when you talk about this chart. Do you want to just give a quick overview on that real quick? Sure. Ever since volume one,
1: we've we've focused on this notion of keeping up. There's this avalanche or tsunami, whatever metaphor you want to talk about, an overwhelming number of vulnerabilities that are found in the environment. And it's not static, of course. There's new ones that show up every day. Every time you do a scan, you find more and organizations are remediating during that time. So it's always this give and take. You know, you can almost get lost in the numbers, especially with the numbers of assets and number of vulnerabilities that that Jay mentioned a while ago. And we wanted to kind of net it out and simplify it down to, hey, when it comes to open high risk vulnerabilities, you know, vulnerabilities that that really matter. Is that trending down or trending up over time? You know, are our companies closing more than they're adding or opening? That's the the gist of figure four in the report. And you know it says 60% of orgs are improving. That means they're reducing the number of open high-risk vulnerabilities over time. That's what we wanna see. We want to be chipping away at it. They don't disappear overnight, but you wanna chip away at them over time. 60% of orgs are doing that really well. Uh, another 17% are in that sort of treading water. They're maintaining the number. If if you can't chip away at it quite yet, at least you don't want to add to the number and and be, you know, steadily drowning. Yeah. So, you know, when when you combine those, you look you get over three quarters of organizations are either reducing or maintaining. So that's that's awesome. And Dan, like you said, that has steadily increased over the last couple of years as we've as we've measured the statistic, which means you're coaching customers and helping them well, and I'm not just trying to <laughs> shill what you're doing, yeah, yeah. but you can see that in the data, and that's exactly what we wanna see. We wanna see an improved capability to drive down high-risk vulnerabilities over time.
3: Yeah, and in fact, I'd I say that the very first time that we measured this, it was very much the opposite, right? We had, I think, if I recall, two-thirds of organizations were either at that treading water stage or falling behind stage. Mm-hmm. And now if we measure that same group of of stats, right, we have 40% are there now as opposed to two thirds. So things are definitely improving.
0: Yep, yep. Another stat that, and, and it kind of, it speaks to the bias, but we like to say it's a good bias in this one, right? From the data set, but they, they are getting better, right? Um, yeah. I'll, I'll bring this up just cause I noticed it and I took a quick note, but remediation capacity has actually gone up as well from when we first did that. Not sure why, maybe companies are getting better automated, maybe more tools are coming out, more, uh, Software is automated patching, who knows? But things have definitely shifted up by 50%, right? It used the average remediation capacity, which we'll dive into in a little more depth was 10%. Now it's 15, right? That's a big jump over what, two years, I wanna say for that one. So anyway, do you wanna call that out as some bias in the data? Because, uh, you know, it's good to have that kind of context when we're looking at the greater landscape, but let's jump in. So, you know, we're kind of measuring exploitability, um, you know, 77% of organizations are actually kind of either treading water or improving, which is great. Let's get into a little bit of the distribution of EPSS. So where does that lie from exploitability of published vulnerabilities? So Jay, you want to take this? We're on figure five in the report.
2: Sure. Yeah. So figure five is looking at just the EPSS scores across all published CVEs. And so, I mean everybody knows that like very few of these cves are actually exploited in the wild and therefore exploitability if you average it out is going to be very low and that's what we're seeing on this chart when you look across all cves most of the epss scores are extremely low this is not a nice bell curve that you might be used to things are generally under one percent chance of being exploited in the wild and so That's figure five that just shows that type of distribution. We broke it out essentially into three categories, right? Under 1%, 1% to 10%, and then 10% to 100%. And here we're seeing about 2 thirds on the lower category, about 1 third in the middle, and then like 5% in the upper. And so that's just heavy to the left on the chart as you're looking at it. Now, the next one, I think this is where it starts to get interesting. When we looked at the actual observed vulnerabilities that companies are reporting in, that they're finding, we see this shift where the that lower category that was, what was it, 63%, now it's about 40%. It dropped to about 23% on that lower end. And so it, it shifts more to the middle. And now we're seeing about 50% of the CVEs in the middle having you know scored the exploitability between 1% and 10%. Uh, And then that above category also shifts up. And then later, I don't want to put any spoilers out there, but we've got another chart just like this later on. It's figure 11, where we looked at an asset-based view. Uh, And as everybody knows, depending on the asset, the type of asset, may have literally hundreds of vulnerabilities on there. And so naturally, if there's a whole bunch of vulnerabilities on an asset, the exploitability of that asset is going to be through the roof. Right, And that's what we see. We see about 95% at the asset level being in that highest category. So we end up at the asset level about 95% in the upper category, when we started out just looking at CVEs, it was like 5% were in that upper category just on the CVE level. Yeah,
0: and just real quick, I'll plug one of our old episodes that we did on how uh, vulnerability risk is kind of power law distributed. It's not a nice average bell curve that humans like to think about, right. um, which is mimicked in these uh, these charts. So you'll kind of see the long tail. So if you want an example and you're not reading the report, uh, check out any of our vulnerable of the month blogs. You'll see the same chart on every single one of them and it shows the kind of risk score distribution super long tail very low probability the bulk is very low risk overall so that's a kind of a similar uh, take and uh, if you want to get some additional content so sorry ed
3: yeah i was just gonna say what i relearned from some of these charts is lo and behold it turns out that attackers attack vulnerabilities that people
0: have weird huh <laughs> You're smarter than we huh? think right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um So moving on to uh, kind of exploitability, but through the lens of product. Um, Wade, do you want to take a stab at these charts here? Because they're very colorful and there's a lot of stuff on them.
1: Yeah, I'll take figure seven and start there. Uh, Jay just talked about CVEs overall and what that looks like. And we thought, well, you know, it's hard for people to connect with just a CVE. So let's break it down to products. And so that chart is showing the same information essentially, but grouped by the vendor yep. that is responsible for that vulnerability. And a couple things here, just to get your bearings. Uh, when you look at figure seven, the X axis on the horizontal is observed vulnerabilities across assets. So, so that gives you a sense of which of these vendors are more common and which are more rare in terms of the assets under management that we studied in this uh, research. So no surprise, Microsoft is the furthest to the right, meaning that we observed, you know, there were Microsoft vulnerabilities or Microsoft products. That was the most prevalent of any other vendor. Of course, they have a lot of assets, desktop infrastructure, servers, everything. So that won't be surprising and then on the other dimension here on the on the Y axis, we look at this exploitability and this is just an average of EPSS scores. Uh, so if you can think about, OK, we take all Microsoft vulnerabilities and each of those vulnerabilities individually have an EPSS score and you average them, where where do you land? And You know, you could have all kinds of arguments about is averaging the right way to do it and this and that. But, you know, we're talking about probabilities here and we're just trying to stack vendors according to do the vulnerabilities specific to that vendor tend to be more exploitable than other vendors. And um, just to take Microsoft again, they are among the top 10 in terms of average exploitability across all vulnerabilities. Apache is up there, Adobe is up there. And then there's some that maybe are a little bit less uh, familiar, pseudo project, um, you know, Slackware. I can't even read that one faster, faster XML. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you look at this chart, it's just a, an explosion of color, but it, it really does a good job of separating out, you know, is this a highly prevalent, highly exploitable set of products, Microsoft and Adobe are in that upper right quadrant, or, you know, is it more rare and, and less exploitable? And you see down there, Samsung and Juniper, Dell, any number of things and everywhere in between. So that's, that's the point of that, that chart. And it's pretty cool way to think about your infrastructure. You know, this is, this is why we did it. As you look across your assets, all of your assets are somewhere on this plot. And, uh, kind of gives you a sense of what you're up against.
0: Yeah, which transitions into kind of figure eight as well, right? Which shows yep. how quickly people are able to remediate these vulnerabilities within their environments, right? How long they survive.
3: One thing I found interesting, though, about figure seven, I guess one that, that stood out for me. I mean, there's a lot of kind of, yeah, we, things we've covered before. I think volume five, we covered a lot about the the volume from the vendors and different uh, remediation velocity and things like that. However, one thing that stood out here for me is the prevalence across assets versus exploitability. Google really stood out to me as somebody who is across a whole lot of different assets, but the exploitability, at least from an EPSS standpoint, is quite low.
1: Yep. And, you know, that's where you'd want to be, right? Uh, If you can maintain a, a super wide scale of deployment and low
0: exploitability, that's Doing a good job. Do you have any kind of uh, off-the-napkin interpretation of why that might be, Ed?
3: Uh, Well, one, I would say that probably my guess here is the vast majority of this is Google Chrome that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to assume that things like sandboxing and a lot of the different things that they've put in place in Google Chrome, along with auto-updates so that people are automatically updating that software, have all played well for them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then actually, could we get your read on this area under the curve, the survival cord plot on figure eight? So figure eight shows the vendors, but this time it's mapping them based off of how long the vulnerabilities take to be remediated. So the lower you are, the faster, ultimately, I guess. Well, exploitability is top to bottom. Um, the more farther left you are, the faster uh, right. enterprises are able to remediate vulnerabilities from a given vendor.
3: And as, as you can see, again, Google is, is, is quite low, which is good in terms of how fast people are remediating, but so is Microsoft, right? Yes. And that's something that I know we covered a lot in volume five as well of the P2P research series is that Microsoft represents probably more vulnerabilities than any other vendor out there, but they're also one of the best in terms of enabling their customers to remediate those vulnerabilities through the Patch Tuesday process, through patch management systems like SCCM. People have very much operationalized, I think, Patch Tuesday and, and how to go about uh, patching those Microsoft vulns, which really stands out versus a lot of other vendors.
0: Yep. Well, let's jump to, because I know we're, we're going to be a little pressed for time to get through all these, because these are always good episodes, but... Uh, exploitability within assets. Now this is actually interesting. So I'd like to have uh, Jay, you take a stab at uh, figure 11 and kind of describing this because it's this kind of the inverse of uh, the power law that we see for risk, right?
2: Yeah. And so, and this is, I, I touched on this earlier when we were talking about these distributions of exploitability and that when you look at the asset level, you're going to get this aggregation of rare things. And when you aggregate a bunch of rare things, they become a lot less rare. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the asset level, most of these are rated at over 10%. And actually most of them are in the top half of that range between 10% and 100%. But the interesting thing here is that a lot of these assets are, are vulnerable. And I think anybody working in vulnerability management knows what that's like. You've got so many vulnerabilities in your network and you're always fighting that fire. And that's what this chart is showing, that when you actually look at the asset level, there's a lot of exploitability. Hey, Jay, I I, I a question for you on this one.
3: Talk, if you can, just a little bit about exploitability of an asset. So using the example, I've got an asset you you mentioned before, you might have 100 or, or more open vulnerabilities on that, and each of those vulnerabilities has a different exploitability rating or EPSS score. What's kind of the math behind aggregating that together to determine, for this asset, what is its exploitability? And and put it in layman's term. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: super hard. You know, there's a good half dozen ways to approach this. Uh, And we did it because EPSS is meant to be a probability. And so the first way we approached it was treating it like a probability. But the problem is is that it's mostly calibrated. But I think where it's not calibrated is on that very low end. So like under 1% chance, I think that a lot of those are rated higher than they should be. Uh, and so when you're aggregating across hundreds of vulnerabilities on a single asset, these things that have 1% chance of exploitability, and then you aggregate 300 of those, you know, unpatched Windows box, you're going to get the probability of exploitation to be near 100%. And that's what we found was that almost all of these were 100% chance of being exploited at some point in the next year.
1: Sorry, I was gonna break in and say exploited anywhere is a good caveat there because we're, we're not saying that particular asset has an almost 100% chance of being exploited. It's that a vulnerability on that asset most likely will be exploited at some organization somewhere. So we took this and multiplied it by Jay's weight and then <laughs> divided
0: it yeah.
1: by the current stock market value. Yeah and average that across, no. It sounds like my
0: 401k (laughs) strategy, thank
2: you. (laughs) What we did end up doing is that for every asset we would take the highest rated vulnerability, I believe, on there and just use that one. So rather than try to do insanely fun and complicated math where it just showed like every asset was 100%, we looked at this top ranking one at this. And so as we slide into like figure 12, for example, What we found is that over half of the active assets have a near certain chance uh, that at least one of these open vulnerabilities will be actively attacked Attacked. in the realm yeah yeah um and this is again what wade clarified is that this is attacked anywhere right not on that specific asset we did try to do some interesting mathematical approaches to talk about the probability of this asset being exploited But we just found that we're doing, you know, a lot of, well, if we assume this and then we assume this and then these two go together and we've got another assumption. I mean, it just became way too squishy. So we tried to keep it simple. Less quant, more qualification. Yeah, so it got got just too squishy.
0: Well, which makes sense, right? Because that's the way Ken has kind of found we have to look at it. So on an asset basis, it's it's the highest risk vol on it because that's ultimately what matters um, because you don't want to get exploited. That's that's the end goal. Right. Um, And so there's a nice quote to kind of finish out this section, really. But nearly all. So 95 percent of assets have at least one highly exploitable vulnerability. Again, that's not a surprise, really. But um, it's just interesting to put that out there. Yep, definitely. You guys want to cover anything else before we jump into the whole uh, the meat of this issue, which is minimizing set exploitability?
2: I think we jump there.
0: All right. So I, I kind of prefaced this earlier, but um, we defined remediation capacity um, back in what P2P volume three, which by the way, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. March 2019 is when that report came uh, out. So, the Hell's of P2P. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> the, the pre COVID and post COVID, right? PC. And, uh, anyway, um, back then, like I said, it was originally any organization on any given month. Could had the capacity to patch roughly 10% of their vulnerabilities. So any, I think it was a 30-day period that we looked at and just rolling, right? Um, that's actually increased. So organizations on average can um, have the capacity to patch roughly 15% of vulnerabilities. And you guys took it a step further this time and broke it down into kind of distributions. So uh, actually, Wade, let's have you uh, talk about this.
1: Cool. So so we wanted to revisit that because that's honestly still one of my favorite charts to talk about is that that chart that shows the phenomenal correlation between the observed vulnerabilities and, and close rate and how consistent it is across all organizations. It really speaks to a broader, broader issue. Um, anyway, I won't I won't uh, go down the road of talking about that right now, but we wanted to, to add some some context to it. And we needed it also for this simulation that's coming up. You know every organization doesn't remediate exactly 15%. Uh, we actually found some that are remediating over half the vulnerabilities in in their environment. And we found some that are remediating more like, you know less than 5%. So there's a, a wide range. And we set some bounds trying to create kind of a what does the middle set look like? And if you're in the bottom 25% of organizations, Uh, That's about 6.6%. If you're the median, you know, exactly the half, which we said earlier was that 15.5%. And if you're in the the 75th percentile or or is uh, 27% of vulnerabilities on average over time. So uh, that gives you some kind of sense of where organizations line up. Uh, And hopefully begs the question of, hey, where does my organization fit in here? Where where do I stand when it comes to remediation capacity?
0: Yeah, I think actually, Wade, you guys ran some of those numbers for our customers back in the day when we first pulled out the report. But um, you know what? I actually just found, I just noticed this. What's interesting is, back when we first ran this, the average was one in ten or ten percent, but the top quartile was still one in four. Now we saw a fifty percent jump in the average, up to fifteen point five percent, but the top quartile only jumped up by 2.1 percentage points. So it does seem like there's a little bit of a cap. We might want to look into that later on. But um, yeah, because there's not as much uh, growth, even though we saw spectacular growth in the average, um, the top performers are not growing at the same rate. Oh.
3: Save it for volume nine, Dan. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I had I know. Said <laughs> uh, I'm just doing teases for the next reports. Um, anyway, Ed, did you actually have any feedback on before we jump into the next section or?
3: No, this one was actually kind of both interesting and new to me because I, you know, previously been focused very heavily on the that median number, uh, which previously, as mentioned, was was ten percent, and then we we're talking about top performers. In fact, we do a number of kind of like half day training sessions with with customers, and we talk a lot about those metrics, um, and we talk about top performers and what that means to be a top performer. So it's good to see that even well, while the top performers are increasing a little bit more, but everybody, the 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 full, uh, I guess the the rising tide quote something something comes in here. But yeah, yeah, no, this was all new to, new to me, and it was very interesting. I think it might be something we want to, as we expand our our state of the union metrics, yeah, to include those different quartiles within that.
0: Yeah, fun P2P trivia for all those uh, following along throughout the years. Uh, I tried to have remediation capacity labeled as the Bellis constant. And um, (laughs) I'm glad that uh, Jay didn't let me do that because it's less than constant, actually, (laughs) now that we're looking at it. So anyway, we got roughly 15 minutes to get into like the meat of this. So you guys ran a simulation model. Jay, I'm just going to hand it off to you because this is well beyond me. You guys have fun and jam.
2: Yeah. The simulation, like we started with factual data. So like we didn't start and say, let's simulate what we think a company would look like. We started with the data that, you know, we've got the companies and the data of their current state. And so we said, all right, here's a company. Here's all the vulnerabilities that they have open. Now, if their capacity was you know, the 25th percentile, 50th or 75th percentile, they're going to close X number of vulnerabilities this month. And what effect would different strategies have on their exploitability at the beginning versus the end? And so if they did nothing, obviously their, their exploitability would stay exactly the same. And so we've got uh, figure 17 and 18 cover this. So 18 has a dash line that says do nothing. And then we've got different strategies that we said, all right, if, if we said a random strategy, they're just going to put all of the vulnerabilities in the hats and pick out until they hit their capacity. And this is sort of a baseline of doing something, (laughs) but doing something very dumb. Right. Uh, And so, and it's good to have that baseline because then you look at something like CVSS and you see a minute improvement over a random strategy. Right. And so That's kind of interesting. If you randomly pick things, you're doing slightly worse than CVSS. And so CVSS may slightly improve on that, but that's not a great thing. Then we've got another strategy we looked at called the quickest, which is essentially, let's take a look at things that that were easy to remediate. So given how fast these are to remediate, maybe it's a Patch Tuesday thing. Maybe they've got you know microsoft has some auto patch stuff maybe there's no problem to do it if you just did things that were easy up to your capacity you would be outperforming cvss the next strategy that i think is super fascinating is twitter and we looked at essentially how many mentions on twitter did a cve have and this is Absolutely, just insanely stupid counting of CVEs mentioned on Twitter. And this includes like MITRE's mm-hmm. Twitter account that says, We published CVE X, right? I mean, this is insanely dumb. Let's just count on Twitter and this outperforms CVSS and the easy to remediate things.
1: Sorry, just to break in, just to put a number on that yep. uh, Twitter outperforms CVSS by 2X. So it's <laughs> twice as good. Wow.
2: Yeah. So if you'd rather not do CVSS and you just want to count up Twitter mentions, that might be a more effective, twice as good from a CVSS perspective. So the next one we had was prevalence. And this is basically if a vulnerability is widespread, it might be also widespread in the attack form. That's what we actually are seeing, that if you focused on your most popular vulnerabilities, you're going to reduce it even more than the Twitter mentions.
0: And that's most, most popular for a specific organization or...
2: It was across our entire data set. Uh, And so obviously an individual company may have to adjust, but I I think they would probably see a similar gain if they just looked at popular. But then we get into the really, really good one, and that is, is there exploit code published for this? And we're using uh, Metasploit, exploit DB, and GitHub, um, and we're slowly adding some other sources in there, but largely this one just completely outperformed everything else And then finally at the end, we had perfect information. And this is using EPSS, which isn't fair because we're using EPSS as the exploitability score. So that's why we're calling it, if you had perfect information, this is how good you could do. And one of the interesting things, if you look at figure 17 on the perfect information line, there's still a dot, a few dots way over to the right. Meaning even if they had perfect information, their environment has so much work to do that they're not shifting the needle even with perfect information, so they probably have several months of really digging into their vulnerabilities, trying to fix them, until they're going to see a benefit.
3: I would say, for the most part, this isn't actually surprising to me. It's it's certainly funny sometimes, certainly comparing things like Twitter to CVSS as an example the exploit code is stuff that we've covered in previous volumes. In fact, in volume seven, we we talk very heavily about, hey, maybe it's never a good thing to actually publish exploit code because it does indeed shift the attacker's momentum to the left. But I mean, at the same time, I guess I could say, well, now that I know that there's exploit code available, if I was to take this strategy, I could focus on this and I could do quite well compared to all these other
0: strategies. Absolutely. And I also, I petition that if we're going to brand any of these strategies that we brand randomly patching stuff as the Dan strategy. <laughs> I would love to go down as that. That'd be great. So uh, long as it's not we the dandom The Dandom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wade, any, any thoughts here? Um,
1: I'll move us uh, a little bit forward because we, we not only wanted to compare strategies but we wanted to compare capacities. So there's two things in this simulation that we're looking at. One, what strategy are you using? Are you randomly picking vulnerabilities? Are you picking vulnerabilities with exploit code? Yep. for instance. Okay. Also, though, how does that capacity that we mentioned before? Okay, we know the median is 15%. We know, you know, 6.6 is the the bottom 25th percentile and the 75th percentile is is 24%-ish. So how does that factor into all of this? And you know the combination of a strategy and your capacity how how do you manage these two things what's more important uh in terms of seeking that goal of minimizing exploitability and that's that's where i think this really gets interesting as, as this report closes out and as this podcast closes out you know we we start comparing things and and you know there's there's some interesting stuff like going back to exploit code you could have exploit code as your strategy and be at the bottom in terms of capacity you could be the low 25th percentile in terms of capacity and you're still going to outperform high capacity combined with the CBSS led strategy. And things like that, I think, I hope are really informative to organizations that are that are trying to figure out, hey, what should I focus on? You know, yeah. is it more important for me to focus on on increasing my capacity to remediate vulnerabilities at at higher volume and and more quickly or do I need to first focus on my strategy what which vulnerabilities should we remediate and and i think this pretty firmly says strategy trumps capacity yeah. in most cases here
0: i mean you want them both but if you got to pick one yep Focus. Yeah, it's, I, I find it very interesting because you set basically, we define these kind of speed limits, right? Low, medium, and high, right? High performers, lowest performers, and median. But um, this chart, and we're talking about figure 18, really breaks it down, right? We see what you could do at all of those breakpoints with the perfect info. And then the next best thing is exploit code. And everything else is not even close. So if you are a low capacity, low remediation organization, right? You don't have the resources to patch this stuff. It's really, really hard. If you're focusing on vulnerabilities that have exploit code, you're going to far and away do better than any other strategy that we measured here, which is just like mind blown. (laughs) Work
3: smarter over work harder. both if you can
2: Mm. (laughs) yep and that gets called out explicitly in figure 19 the one after you mentioned dan where we look at the the changes between you know changing capacity versus strategy and the strategy just generally blows it away
0: yeah can you actually walk through this kind of like i guess rainbow jump chart i I don't know how to describe
1: (laughs) wow the the volkswagen (laughs) the
2: the the beetle (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, essentially, if you start, you know, with uh, a low capacity CVSS, for example, you're at like a 0.75 exploitability. And then if you go to a high capacity, you get about a seven point reduction, as opposed to if you went with the same amount of capacity to exploit code, for example, you get about a 32 point reduction. That's a huge change. You see a big arrow shifting. And that is low capacity with uh, exploit code gets you down to like 0.4 or so. And then if you go from low to high capacity with exploit code, you get even just a 10-point reduction. So like CVSS, changing capacity, you get a 7-point, exploit code, you get a 10-point. But when you go from CVSS to exploit code, you're getting a 32-point jump. Really quite a big difference having that strategy. And again, this is relatively dumb strategies. Like these are... Does exploit code exist? This is not an analyst has spent you know twenty minutes looking at this vulnerability and making a claim. This is yes or no. Do we have evidence that exploit code is out there, right? And that's yep. it. Like that is the entire logic decision tree for exploit code.
0: Yeah, I mean you grounded out pretty well, um, and just you know you, you need the data set right to understand if that happened, or you can go check out EPSS for free online right now and go download the data, or if you want to automate it, come hit up Kenna, Um, I'll do my marketing spiel real quick. Um, But Ed, I actually, I wanted to close out with you here because one, we've been working, you know, like you basically your whole career on how to prioritize vulnerabilities to to move the needle, move the market. And it seems like things are moving that way. You just wrote a byline on CISA and their new, uh, their list of prioritized vulnerabilities, right? Um, so in a nutshell, these final thoughts from uh, your perspective.
3: Yep, no, absolutely. And, and to, to hammer that home, right? We're in, like you mentioned with CISA, we're starting to see organizations take more of a, whether it be a risk-based approach or a a kind of an exploit-driven approach, right, where I know that there's exploit code that's available or, or even better yet, the perfect info, which is I know that this is actually being exploited in the wild somewhere, right, and I want to go remediate this first before I become one of those exploited in the wild. And then you know we always talk about the an organization essentially has two levers to solve this problem. And this problem being I have more vulnerabilities than I can possibly fix, right? So given that, I can either one, I can prioritize these, and that's much like what we're talking about here with these different strategies, or two, I can use automation in terms of remediation, which is much more of the the other half of this, which is increasing my capacity. And from the things that we've seen in the previous reports, the top performers are in reality doing both, right? They are applying a risk based strategy and they are doing as much automation as they can to remediate as much as they
1: can.
0: Awesome. That's a great, great summary. Ah, oh, man, a uh, lot to digest. This was another great report. So I'd like to thank all of our listeners at home. Go check it out, go download the report. If you have any questions or spot a typo, by the way, uh, crowdsource typos every single time, uh, feel free to tweet me, let me know. Uh, DT Mellinger, Ed Bellis, uh, Jay Jacobs, Wade. And if you have any suggestions for things, questions, comments, concerns, feel free to hit us up. Um, we're all available and uh, love getting feedback and you know, love uh, people who challenge the data as well. So uh, let us know. And with that, thank you everyone. Have a nice day.